Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the latest edition of Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David, and I'm here along with my friend Chris. How are you, Chris? Man, I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, very, very well. It was a very pleasant day here today. Uh, good to get out of the house a little bit when I could. Yeah, I hear you. Same thing. Same thing here, man. Got to got to get on the bike for a while, so it's always a good thing. Weather was perfect. So, but, but yeah, people, we are in different cities again. So sorry for the um, sorry for the phone that you hear me coming through. I mean, it's the best we can do at this time. Hopefully, we'll prove it will improve that eventually. Yeah, I, I think it sounds fine. Uh, before we get started, I want to let everybody know we're on Twitter, Digital Killed, Instagram, Digital Killed, the Radio Star. We are on iTunes. Hopefully, you've subscribed to iTunes, and uh, that way, the podcast will just automatically download to your device and. Um, if if you could, please go on there and give us a rating and review us. That's really going to help us for things we have planned in the future. Before we get started, Chris, um, any new music you've been listening to this week? We we should let the audience know that um, last week you talked about Dave Hawes and um, sent out a tweet basically mentioning that we were talking about his album, and he was kind enough to send us a, a tweet back thanking us for uh, talking about his album. So that was pretty cool. It's very cool because, you know, not, first of all, it just kind of, it makes us feel good that, you know, we're actually starting to get heard, noticed, and especially by people that we admire. But, uh, yeah, Dave Hawes is just, he's becoming one of my favorite artists. And so for him to do that, that, that was that was way cool of him. Yeah, and, and you're going to hear more about him in future podcasts, and so just stay tuned on that. So anything new you're listening to, Chris? Yeah, you know, I've been listening to, and, and you know, I never... I'm always afraid of how you actually say, pronounce her last name, but um, it's a girl, her name is Lindy, or I say Lindy Ortega, but it may be Ortega, I'm not sure, it's a, uh, her first name is Lindy, L-I-N-D-I, last name O-R-T-E-G-A. For those of you that don't know, which is probably just about everybody listening to this, uh, Lindy Ortega is a, she's a country artist out of Canada, I think she lives in Nashville now. And I first heard of her when she was open for Social Distortion. And if you know anything about Social Distortion, Mike Ness just picks the greatest openers. And uh, a lot of times he picks the ones that have kind of a country sound to them. And Lindy is a uh, – she's when I say country, we're not talking what you're going to hear on the radio right now. She's, uh, she's kind of a traditional sounding artist. Uh, great songwriter, great songs. This is it's, a, it's an EP that she just came out with. It's called "Till the Going Gets Gone." It's only got four cuts on it, but um, highly recommend checking out her albums. She is just absolutely fantastic, and you know, it's just it it just makes me sick every time I think about people like her don't make it to country radio when she is country. She's the real deal. And she's just phenomenal. If you're looking for new country that sounds like real country, try her out. I think you may like her. She's so you, awesome. So you're saying she doesn't sound like the Florida Georgia line? No, she does not. Not at all. And actually, you know, if you had to compare, and, and I hate doing this to her because everybody needs to have their own voice, and I'm sure she's used to it. But, so, but again, I really hate doing this. But if I had to compare her to somebody, she sound, her, vocally she kind of sounds like Dolly Parton. Well, that's that's not bad. She had a good run. No, no, it's not bad at all. She is, um, she like I said, she's really, really good. Um, hopefully, hopefully, she starts getting the attention she deserves. 
And, and her name is Lindy Ortega, correct? Correct. Okay. I'll have to look her up. I, I've never heard of her. Um, I bought a, a pretty good CD this week. Um, KXM, it's a it's a band consisting of, and I may pronounce this guy's last name wrong, Ray Luzier from Corn, the drummer from Corn, Doug Pinnock from King's X, and then George Lynch, most famously from Dokken and, and Lynch Mob. And normally when you see these, I don't, I wouldn't call, I don't want to call it a super group, but you see these groups thrown together like this. Usually they're one and done. The music really isn't all that great. But this is actually their second album, and the production on it is is tremendous. And um, I really think it's George Lynch's best guitar work. doesn't sound anything like he played in Dokken or Lynch Mob, to be honest with you. has a little bit, a hint of a progressive uh, metal, but... Um, his playing is great, and Doug Pinnock, um, I think he's like 60 years old, and he has a, still has a great set of pipes on him. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good group. Who, who did you say again? You said Pinnock and um, Lynch, Lynch. And, and Ray Lazier, from, the drummer from Corn. Yeah, you know, funny thing is, when we were kind of looking up some stuff before we did our 90s, or if, this, if I remember this correctly, before we did our 90s show, um, yeah, Lazier was he played temporarily, not on the not when they were on the big album FOMA, but he played. We were talking about the Nixons. He played with them for about a, maybe a year or so. Really, that's kind of a change yeah. of pace from Corn. Well, I mean, you think about it, going from I mean there to playing with Corn to, and I'm not familiar with KXM, but I, I imagine it sounds nothing like Corn. Nothing. So I mean, he's just he's just I mean he he's just a he's a good drummer, you know, and that's kind of like the good uh, musicians like good musicians. That's kind of like the guy, um, you, you you know his name. He used to drum for Ministry, and he drummed for REM on their last several tours. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, he, he was a staple of the uh, – I know you said you started that Seattle Grunge book. Right. You'll find out he was kind of a staple of that scene. Um, I cannot think of his name right now. Oh, it's <laughs> aggravating. But, anyway, I mean, yeah, I mean, you t- and take somebody like Mark, uh, Mike Portnoy. Yeah, a lot of times – I mean, he's right up there with Dave Lombardo as far as metal drummers, but that guy does prog metal, just hard rock like the Winery Dogs, right. playing in a, you know a contemporary metal band like Avenged Sevenfold for a while. And he was in so Adrenaline just, Mob, I think, for a time too. He was, yeah, he was. So it's just kind of what I'm saying, you know, good musicians like good musicians. You know, it doesn't really matter. They can, and the good ones can adapt. And I read where I read something where where he was saying Portnoy was saying how he he loves doing the different genres and just changing it up. Well, and I, I would, I would assume with him anytime he, now that he's not in dream theater, the music cannot be that challenging. Yeah. And it was, that was, that was actually probably really cool for him to do something like the winery dogs where he's just kind of I mean, the playing still really good, but you're playing a, what a, a kit that's probably a fourth of the size and just, uh, just really simplifying everything back to basics, rock and roll. Right. He, Which, by the way, people, if you haven't listened to them, check out the Winery Dogs, especially the first album. Uh, stuff. Richie Codson, it's he should be a household name, but he's not. Yep. Well, the topic this week is one that um, I think Chris actually brought it up a couple of weeks ago, and it was my turn to pick a topic, and so I decided we would we would go with it. Um, I guess we're going to call it Swan Songs. It's going to be albums that we think are, are really good by bands or artists, and it's their final album that they record. And... As Chris and I were discussing before we went started recording, this sounded like it was going to be an easy topic, but I, I'll have to admit it's been the toughest topic that I've, I've had to do research for for any of our podcasts. 
completely agree. I had no idea it was going to be as tough, in all honesty. If it had known, I probably wouldn't have uh, brought the idea up to you. But I, I guess it made it. It made it interesting. It's just, and, and the problem I had with it is, is bands that I love have either not made their final album yet, or bands made what should have been the final album take time off and come back and do another one. And then, of course, you've got the third one. It's just final albums are just awful. So this was this was tough trying to find a band that went out on a high note. I started, Chris, to play an April, April Fool's joke on you. And we were going to call it Swan Song Albums, and I was just going to list Led Zeppelin and Bad Company albums. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, there could be worse. I mean, I don't know about Bad Company, but there could be worse than Led Zeppelin. But, um, yeah, does doesn't rank up there. Well, it, it would have been easier to do an episode of albums that bands should not have put out at the end of their career. Yeah, yeah, that would have been easier. Uh, I mean, like I said, this was this was a tough one, and um, I feel like I find I feel like I got a good group of them. That I mean, these weren't just oh, they're good enough for a final album. Their albums I really really like, so I think we got there. So you know, hopefully, uh, people listening, if you haven't heard these, you'll check them out. Um, I think most of them. I think the casual listener will probably know most of these bands, if if not all of them. I, I but would, if not, I, if not, maybe we're going to educate them on something. I would say the average listener should at least know eighty percent of them. Yeah, um, absolutely. E- anyway, well, Chris, won't you do the honors? Let you start it off with uh with one. Okay, I'm going to start with the final album by Warren Zevon. The album's called The Wind, and you know if you're just kind of a casual. If you don't really know a lot about Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London. I mean, that's that's all you need to know right there. That was his big one. That was the big hit. Well, this album came out in 2003. And, you know, you can read varying reports. I've read some say that, first of all, released in, 2000, in August 26, 2003. And just a couple of weeks after it released, he died. September 7, 2003, he died of lung cancer. So what you've heard, what you cannot see varying reports on is, did he write the album? Did he start the album and write all of it while after his diagnosis? Or was it as a, another thing I saw that he, uh, he'd already began, you know, writing and recording the album when he got his diagnosis. Either way, I think it played heavily into the content of this, this album. It's, um, it's fun at times. It's got some really good rocking songs on it, like uh, Disorder in the House, but oftentimes just it's it's painful. Um, the song Keep Me in Your Heart is just, it's so sad. I mean, it, and one thing that I that I read is he, he was, as he was recording this album, right at the, um, it was the last song he recorded, and he had become, He's, his health was deteriorating and he could no longer make the trips to the studio so they set up a makeshift in his home and that's when he recorded this and if I'm not mistaken it seems like he even said I even saw one time I read something that that was kind of the, the song that he was leaving behind to his family and when you think about that keep in your heart for a while I mean that that's just man that's sad but anyway the album is fantastic it, uh, it won a Grammy for the best contemporary folk album the song Disorder in the House, which has Bruce Springsteen on it. It also won a Grammy for Best Rock Vocal for uh, a group or duo. And it had Grammy nods for Keep Me In Your Heart as Song of the Year, Keep Me In Your Heart for 
best pop vocal performance in the male category and um disorder in the house for best rock song but um again this is um just a really really good album that has a lot of uh, a lot of guest appearances too which kind of shows you that the love people had for this guy when they all came in knowing this was going to be his last one because he you know he had he had this diagnosis and he knew it was he knew it was terminal so but on this album you have don henley springsteen tommy shaw um your guy buddy steve uh, steve gorman from the crows is on there john Waite, t-bone burnett jackson brown uh, mike campbell of tom petty and the heartbreakers tom petty emmy lou harris joe walsh so yeah they they brought out the stars for this one but um you know, the, solid, solid album. The the interesting thing when that album was getting ready to come out, be honest with you, my knowledge of Warren Zevon was two songs: "Werewolves of London" and "Lawyers, Guns, and Money." Yeah. And I remember reading that you know he was about to die, and I was like, "That's got to be." I want to go get that album and listen to it because I don't know if we've ever had somebody that that you know was looking death in the face like he was and actually recording. Yeah, they know album. they're writing their final. Yeah. Right. And the, the one of the neat things, um, he, he was, David Letterman was a huge Warren Zevon fan. And, I knew that was coming up, and if it didn't, I was going to bring it up. Well, he basically got an entire show to himself. And yes. it was it was it was a really cool send-off. And I, I went out and bought the album, and I like the album. And one of the things I was going to, point out was he does a cover of knocking on heaven's door that's really good it is it is a good version um yeah that letterman piece was awesome um i'm so glad letterman did that i mean he was just a huge fan of zivon but and i yeah, be- knock on go ahead and i believe there's a documentary about the making of the album seems like i've seen that uh showing like springsteen and and you know it was just a, a who's who of of musicians that were on the album coming in to record their parts and pretty much, you know, to say goodbye to him. Yeah. I don't know about that. And if that's true, I mean, obviously I'm sure it's true, but if I, I need to go, I need to go back and watch that because this is, this is a, uh, a final album that is, uh, it's his 12th album. And it's one where he just went out on a really, really high note. Um, and the album before that was great too, by the way, life will kill you. But yeah, this was just, um, this was this was, a, this was a really good one, and I, I mean, I just if you if you if you like that if you like him if you've ever liked any of his music and you haven't heard this one you should try him out. Um, wish he was still here. I mean, he was a really good songwriter. Yeah, I know Gorman has said that that's one of the crowning achievements of his career. Was, that's awesome. Was you know, and this this is a guy that toured with Jimmy Page. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's a good album. It's a diverse album. I, I like it. It's it's fun. I, and I've listened to a couple of, of his other albums, and he has a he has a great sense of humor. Yeah, he does. And um, yeah, I mean, just just I, I won't just for the because uh, of the language, we'll try to keep it clean. But just just look up the album "Life Will Kill You" and look at one of the track titles, and you will. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty funny, and I think it was. I th- he, he might have already known his. Di- he, he might have even known his cancer diagnosis at that point, which kind of makes sense of why this song title came up. Anyway, I'm not going to repeat it, but you can look it up. Now you but, got me curious. I'm going to have to look it up when the podcast. Yeah, you will. You'll know it immediately. But yeah, check out check out the song, uh, the Dirty Life and Times, Sorter in the House. She's too good for me. Uh, the rest of the night. That's another just great 
great rocking song. The opening song I really like. I, the name is escaping me, but that's the one. That's the first one I named the, the the Thirty Life and Times. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. That's it is. One. Well, my first album that I'm going to go um, with is I'm, I'm one I'm pretty sure is on your list as well. Uh, it's the last album by REM, Collapse into Now. It's and on my list. It, it's it's to me the album is a good blend of what REM was that you know they had some of the more acoustic sounding songs kind of laid back and then you had a lot of just straight up you know rock songs and I I really like how they ended their career with uh, Accelerate the album before this uh, which was um, a lot to me a lot like the album Monster it was you know I think it was only like 35 minutes long but you know it was pretty much rock songs and um, Collapse into Now. It's it's just a good album with, like I said, with a good blend of of everything that they uh, that they you know did in their career. Some of the songs that stand out for me are Discoverer, uh, It Happened Today, Walk It Back, Oh My Heart. Um, two of the more interesting song titles, the songs that I actually like, Mine Smell Like Honey, and then Alligator, Aviator, Autopilot, Antimatter. Yeah, that's a mouthful, but yeah, it, my favorite ones are probably Happen Today and Mine Smells Like Honey. Mine Smells Like Honey is just, it's just a, it's a fun song to listen to. And, you know, this, I think I was reading, I think kind of about halfway through the recording of this, they kind of figured out, figured out this was going to be it. And Yeah, uh, well, they say, Mike Mills says that he, he um, if you listen to the, the lyrics, that they're kind of hinting that it's the end. Well, supposedly they're, 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 in the um, studio and Stipe basically makes this comment like, I've got to get out of this for a while. And Peter Buck supposedly looks at him and goes, how about forever? Oh, wow. And so um, it sounds to me like they were all ready to, the, the only, the, you know, to hang it up. The only regret, I, I think I wish, I wish they would have toured with the album, which they didn't. Yeah. They never played any of them live. None of these songs have ever been played live. So, that they went out on a on a high note. Well, Chris, you had it on your list. Why don't you tell me some more of your your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, I like the cover when you think about it too. Um, for those who don't know, it has it has the band standing on it, and uh, Michael Stipe has his hand up, almost as if he's waving goodbye. And um, I don't know if that was intentional or if it was coincidence, but it it's a pretty cool little thing. It's a pretty cool thing to have that as like, hey, this is our goodbye album. Um, when I first heard this one, it, it reminded me, it kind of reminded me of out of time. It kind of, I thought it kind of went back to that sound and you're right that, um, accelerate was a, was a good record. It was the first good one that they had had since, uh, very low adventures in high five, you know, because up, you know, it had at my most beautiful, but hated the album. Um, reveal was in my opinion, their worst one. The um, I can't even think of the name of it now. The the one that came out after it, it usually gets that usually gets the uh, votes for worst album. But to me, it was Are, is it around the sun? Yes, yes. But it's just it's almost like I bought their albums because I felt like I had to. But they just <laughs> I was always let down. And then Accelerate comes out. I was like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> They're coming back, and then Collapse into Now comes out, and it was just, it's like, wow, they, they did another great one. Um, you know, and when I say great, I mean, for what you're going to get out of them, I thought it really was. It, it's um, 
you know, it's not going to be in the top half of my albums by then, but it's gonna, it's gonna beat, you know, quite a few of them, I would say. And it was, it was like you said, it was, it was it's, it's a good one, and it was a good one to have as your final album. Yeah, and it, and it was good to see them at the end of their career, getting just more back to what what they do well. Yeah, because they went with you know you look at especially um, some of the songs off of uh, some of the songs they did off of uh, what is it I just I just said the name of it up and then around the sun they were just slow piano ballads and um, not the best ones at that and you know as as a long time REM fan I just I hated that it's like you know because you they would come with they would hit around with some of these songs like the the new beyond and imitation of life and i remember when they did imitation of life it was on reveal i was like yes they're back and i could not wait to get that album and then it's like oh they're you not. know and it was, yeah it's just kind of a letdown but they they didn't let down with this one and it's uh people had probably kind of given up on them by this point but if you're one of those that gave up on them and you never gave this one a chance Check it out. You're you're gonna like it. Yeah, it's very good. Chris, what's your next one? The next one I have, if you've listened to us, then you know my thoughts on Uncle Tupelo. But um Anodyne was their fourth and obviously final album. It uh, it was really it's kind of I guess it was beginning it was definitely beginning of the end and you know, it's where all the members that became Wilco emerged in, into the band because uh, the original Uncle Tupelo drummer, Mike Herdorn, he had already he had left the band, supposedly wanted to be with his wife and his, his two young kids. And so in comes in Ken Krumer, John Sturrott on bass, who's still with Wilco. He came in to play bass, which allowed Tweedy to play some guitar on the songs that he wrote. But um, they... They came up. They came up with this album. They got signed to a uh, a major record deal. There was really high hopes for this album, and they there was just a huge tension between Tweedy and Farrar. Um, supposedly, they would just get in, were constantly at each other. You know, a lot of it had to do with Farrar didn't want to play any of Tweedy's songs. He didn't even want to play on them when they'd play them live. And to make matters worse their one television appearance was uh, on Conan O'Brien and it was a Tweety song. So I don't think that went over too well. Um, they played the long cut and that was their only performance. And of course they didn't last a whole lot longer after this recording, this album. Um, suppo- supposedly though, the tours were doing very well. They were, the tours doing very well. They were having really good crowds. It was a big buzz. They, they sold, I think over 150,000 copies and I read on to I did write this down. There's a um, the the record label Sire, a Sire executive, Bill Bentley. He said he said people here thought we were going to have platinum records from Uncle Tupelo, and you know what? I think they probably would have. I think that they did the band just bailed a little too soon. Uh, Farrar walked away from it. I know we've kind of talked about this before. You know, you're going to hear varying reports of what happened. You know, and if you read the book about Wilco, they talk about this. They make it out like Farrar was just so mistreated by Tweety, which you know, I don't doesn't completely surprise me. But 
in recent years, Ferrar has come out and said that it was through what broke the band up is Tweety hitting on his, I don't think it was his wife at the time, but his girlfriend and, you know, confessing his love to her. But, you know, I, I wish that, I wish they had never broke up. I, I love Sunvolt. I love the solo stuff Ferrar's done. Wilco's made a lot of great records, but Uncle Tupelo was just, they were great. And this was just, I love this album. Um, it's not my favorite one by them, but I do love it. They, and even though it's not my favorite, uh, 2016 Pace Magazine, they ranked Anodyne as the number one best alt country album of all time. So it is, it's well respected. Great, great tracks on it. Slate, Akef Rose, Chickamauga, which for a lot of years was the only Uncle Tupelo song Farrar would play. 15 Keys, Still the Crumbs. I mean, I can go on and on. So I'm going to stop and let you talk. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites on there is New Madrid. I love that song. Yeah, um, that's always kind of been a uh, a Tweety favorite. Yeah, the the thing with this album, this was really supposed to be the one that was going to break them wide open. And mm-hmm. they, just, they just blew up a little too soon. Not blew up as far as popularity, but their relationships just blew up at the, at the wrong time. You know, because... I think the the March album that came out before that, I think there was a lot of money behind that, or at least there was going to be a lot of promotion, and then they turn over basically an all acoustic folk album. That, uh, that yeah, they they thought that. Well, see, they did still feel gone, and they I think the thought was, hey, this is a rising band, and they were expecting big things from them, and you know, kind of doing the uh, the anti you know rock star move. It's just like, well, well, let's just give them an acoustic album. And um, this was the one. You're right, though. I think this is the one that was supposed to break them. And and I think I, I personally think they would have had success. I think they would have had big com- commercial success. They just um, they went just a little too soon. And it's definitely the most accessible album they recorded. Yeah, I think I think you're right on that because you look at um, you know you look at the early ones that are a little bit. They almost have a little bit too much of the punk element for people, and it wasn't and. If you listen to you listen to the early recordings, um, and then look at March and just being an all acoustic record, this was one that was it might have been the perfect balance of the rock and country for that true alt country sound. I mean, it really, if you think about it, it might have been their most perfect alt country album. Yeah, and poor John Sturrott, you know, he leaves uh, his band in Oxford, the Hilltops, with his sister. And of course, the remnants of that go on to form blue mountain but i'm sure he's thinking man i'm i'm joining this band at the right time we're about to blow up and then what have i gotten myself into but i think it worked out pretty well for him <laughs> it did and if you've ever seen the uh, there's a do- documentary slash concert film uh, that wilco put out called ashes of american flags and in it tweety basically goes through every member of the band that that's currently in the band and you know talks about their attributes and when he gets to John, he said, you know, I don't want this band to ever change at all. But John is the one change that I don't think we can, that I can overcome. He's the only one that stayed in. Only one that stayed in. And, you know, I imagine at times it probably hasn't been the easiest for him to be, stay in that band because they've just, you know, we've talked about this at nauseum. They've, they've just strayed so far from what I thought was their best work, but... Anyway, he um, yeah he joined the band at the wrong time, but yeah that I always thought that was interesting. Their one performance on Conan and, and Tweety sings, and if you 
you know, Jay Farrar never puts any emotion in the, you know, his facial expressions or anything anyway, but he's even more reserved on the, on that television on Conan than he, than he normally is. Oh uh, yeah. You know, he was just ticked off about that, but, but yeah, they, once they quit or once he, he quit the band, you know, Farrar did. So once they quit the, uh, Krumer, Starat, um, What's the guy? The multi-instrumentalist games, like Mac, Max Johnston. They all. They said. Uh, I think it's about just a few weeks later they formed Wilco, and um, of course, uh, Farrar goes and gets. Uh, he gets Hirdorn back, and they get. Uh, they get Sunvolt rolling. But um, and the, this and is. The, uh, and the alt country. In the alt country tree has its first two branches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've talked about this before. That this was. Uh, these are the uh, these are the godfathers, you know. These are these really they really are. They're the godfathers of alt country, and um, I'm going to continue to wave that Uncle Tupelo flag. So this is this is probably the most likely band that we're going to name that anybody the people listening may not be that familiar with. And if you like anything that even remotely touches alt country, listen to these guys. I mean, they're legends, and all four albums are just really, really good. And uh, they're one of those bands that, yeah, they yeah they left on a high note. They left, they left too soon, I mean, yeah. obviously. Only if, four albums. If it's your first exposure to them and you don't like it, you're not going to like the other three. So, Yeah, you're right, and that's a good starting point. You know, I'd probably say go Anodyne and then go uh, Still Feel Gone. Love Still Feel Gone. Well, my next album is uh, by a band that we've, I think I'll mention on almost every podcast episode. I don't think that's been on purpose, but it's Oasis's last album, Dig Out Your Soul. This was uh, recorded, I think, in 2008, and they did not know this was going to be their last album. Uh, anybody familiar with Oasis knows the Gallagher brothers just do not get along like oil and water. And they were at a concert in Paris, and I can't remember if Liam actually punched Noel or, or something to that effect. And Noel said, I'm, I'm out. I'm walking away from this. And he's like, y'all can continue Oasis if you want, but I'm not going to be a part of it. And so this album, you know, they obviously recorded not knowing they were going to break up. And it's my third favorite Oasis album behind, you know, definitely maybe. And um, what's the story? Morning Glory. The two or three albums that came out before this were very, in my opinion, very inconsistent and, if you talk to their fans, most of them are going to say the same thing. The, the The sad thing about this is I really like the direction they were going in uh, on this album with uh, Get Off Your High Horse Lady. To, uh, to Be Where There Is Life is the most unique song they've ever recorded. And then uh, Bag It Up is another really good song on there. But if you, if you listen to um, Noel Gallagher's um, two um, solo albums, actually it the name of the band is No Gallagher's High Flying Birds, but the the second album that he released by himself, if two years ago, if I was doing like a year end awards list, it would have been my album of the year. But these songs gave a hint as to the direction he was going in that he eventually went in with his solo album, and it's an album that I put in. I listened to beginning to end. The weak track on it, in my opinion, is Liam has a song called I think it's called I'm Out of Time. And it just does nothing for me. But uh, the rest of the album, I think, is really good. And I, I get off your high horse, lady, and um, bag it up or in regular rotation 
uh, for me. Um, Chris, How many did they record? I think this was their seventh, but you know, they also put out an album of B-sides, which a lot of people said is actually one of their better albums. So, you know, they recorded seven, they released eight, but um, it's just a question of, of what do you consider an album, you know, if you want to put all those B-sides together. Yeah, yeah, see, I can't count those as, as albums, but I, I mean, that's, I've had I've, I've seen that happen before with bands that I love where their B-sides are some of their best work. Right. Right, but yeah, like I said, it's it's a it's a fun album to listen to, and it, it's it's doesn't sound altogether like any of their other albums, and a little more contemporary with with some of the um, some of the music. But it's one that, like I said, I I put it in usually when I put it in, I listen to it from beginning to end. Yeah, I own it. I, I mean, I don't own I don't do not own it. I'm sorry, I do not own it. I've heard it, and uh, I mean, I like it. You know, we you're right. We keep talking. We talk about them on every podcast just like it seems like uncle tupelo comes up on at least half of them but yeah you're right oasis i think comes up on all of them but i mean it makes sense they're 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 one of your favorite bands and they were a great band and um i know uh i know i keep saying it like a broken record i i just get stuck on the first album and um i'm kind of acting like our buddy shannon on this one I uh, got stuck on one, and I don't really stray too much. But uh, well, the 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 problem with that is not. I mean, that's fine that you did that. The 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 problem for them was they recorded that, and then you know, Morning Glory is the one that just you know made them one of the biggest bands in the world. And I feel like after that, they were either trying to basically put out another album like Morning Glory. Or they were trying to stray very far away from that. It just depended on which, like the the fourth album they did, "Standing on the Shoulder of Giants," doesn't sound anything like any of those albums. But they were kind of vict- a victim of their own success, you know. At least in America, you know, they're in in Europe and South America and, and Asia. I mean, they they were always a you know arena slash stadium band in, in America, not so much, but. Um, anyway, f- give it a, give it a spin and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. Like I said, it's, it's, a it's a solid Oasis album. So next up, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with my boys, my boys from, uh, Manchester, the, uh, the Smiths. Um, you know, this was their fourth album. Like Uncle Tupelo, only four albums, a career that ended way too soon. And if you look up the Smiths, you're going to find a lot of different albums, different things, but there's only four studios, and this is one of them. And it's called Strange Ways Here We Come. This was, uh, see, released in 87, and um, I have it reached number two on the UK charts, 55 on a Billboard 200. It's, uh, and then. Between the recording, uh, between the recording of the album and its release date, you know, from the end of the recording to the release, Johnny Marr, the guitarist, he quit the band, which of course ended the band. And then you get Solo Morrissey, which look, there's some great Solo Morrissey. Um, particularly, check out your Arsenal if you never have. Great album. But the Smiths were just a great band. They were a very, very unique band, in my opinion. I think that Johnny Marr was. A, he had a completely unique guitar playing style and 
he did some complex stuff. It may not sound like it because he's not getting there just shredding, but he was a he was a really good player. And this album for me, Strange Ways Here We Come is not only like okay they went out on they had a good album for their last one. For me personally, it's my favorite album by theirs. Always has been. And you know a lot of times you're gonna hear people are usually gonna talk about the Queen is dead. I know that Ryan Adams before has said meet his murder is his favorite. I think he's, I think he said like name, I mean, he may have named that his favorite album of all time, but, um, this one is the one that does it for me. And I have talked to other Smiths fans that really love this one too. I think it's their favorite. And both Johnny Marr and Morrissey have said, this is their favorite one. And they said, they feel like it's the band's best. And I have a quote from Morrissey saying, we say talking about it being their best. Morrissey says, we say it quite often. All the time, yes, all the same time in our sleep, but in different beds. So that was kind of a funny quote. But um, this one is just—I um, don't know. I, the songs on it is just some really long song titles too. But it's got my very favorite Smith song on here, which is "Paint a Vulgar Pic- Paint a Vulgar Picture." The I'd say the one that's somewhat of a recognizable Smith song that people would know his girlfriend in a coma and then some other really good ones uh, a, a rush and a push in the land is ours and just a very there's one to another one I just love on here is uh, last night I dreamt that somebody loved me obviously it's not a happy tune but this is just um yeah I mean th- these guys were great they were really, really great. And, oh, interesting fact, too, about the, the name of the title, or the name of the album, Strange Ways Here We Come. I read that in Manchester, there was a prison named Strange Ways. And that since uh, they said it since changed the name, but supposedly it was just a brutal, brutal prison. And so I thought it's kind of funny, Strange Ways Here We Come. But so that's mine, and, and you, maybe of our, like I said, it, it is my favorite Smiths album, and one of my absolute very favorite final albums of all it'd probably be a toss-up between this and anodyne as like my favorite exit albums well i guess it's just not in my dna to uh to like this van it which is kind of frustrating because so many people like you that opinions i respect love them um i've tried numerous times to um to get it i just don't think i am i knew you were going to pick this album so i listened to it i think twice all the way through Mm-hmm. And if I had to pick two songs that I would, you know, listen to that I that I like, I would go with "Paint a Vulgar Vulgar Picture" and "Death of a Disco Dancer." Yeah, that's a good one. And you know, and I agree with you. They have a unique sound. Um, just Morrissey's whining. Just I don't know. I, I like I said, I've I've tried. I feel like I've given it, you know, the old college try, but it's just a, a, a band we'll have to disagree on. I get it, you know. I mean, I really do. It and I've, and I know what you're talking about too. About usually when I don't like a band, I'm completely happy with not liking the band. I'm okay with it. But I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on on the, this podcast before. But I know I've told you. It's the way what you're describing is the way I always was with the Beatles. I wanted to like them. It's. It, you know, I just kind of thought, how can everybody love them? And everybody I respect musically loves this band, but it's not clicking with me. 
And that's one of the only bands, if not the only one, that I ever almost forced myself to like. And um, and it did eventually hit me. You know, it, I, it's not like I just kept putting on their records because you, you can't really keep forcing yourself to listen to something you don't like. But I always thought, man, what's wrong with me that I'm not getting it? Everybody else does. So I guess what I'm saying is, hang in there, buddy. It may hit you someday. Well, you know, that happened with me with um, Gaslight Anthem. You been on me for years to listen to him even burned me a copy of um 59 sound and then one day i was just like i'm gonna give it another try and now i own everything they've put out just two yeah, months you later. mentioned the same thing with you've tried the same thing with the smiths you've, you've tried that you wanted to become speaking of a gaslight anthem this is what makes me think of it you wanted to become a springsteen fan right just I, because you know because that's and the reason i bring that up that gaslight anthem they, they idolize springsteen and i know you said the same thing and um Look, I mean, there's there's no there's no right or wrong answers to this, people. I mean, you like what you like, and uh, that's that's the great thing about music. I mean, it it hits everybody in a different way, which is a good thing. It'd be Absolutely, kind of, be kind of boring if everybody listened to the same thing. Well, I think this is like podcast eight or nine for us, and um, I'm shocked that it's the first time I'm going to mention one of my favorite bands, Pink Floyd. Um, their final studio album, The Division Bell, came out, I think, 93 or 94. And Before anybody jumps on me on social media, I know technically they released an album two years ago called The Endless River, but it was basically just ambient uh, music that was left over from The Division Bell, you know, instrumental piano work. So I, I, don't, I don't count that as an album. Um, I will say that this was the second studio album since Water Roger Waters left the band, and this album is so much better than the one that came before uh, Momentary Lapse of Reason. Just Momentary Lapse of Reason is, just, in my opinion, not a good album at all. But this song was written, I mean, this album was written with kind of a loose theme of uh, communication and lack of communication amongst our society and people. And it's a really good sounding album. has a couple instrumentals. It has an instrumental called um, Marooned. And I believe it won a Grammy for Best Instrumental. But uh, the standout tracks to me are Coming Back to Life, Take It Back, Lost for Words, and High Hopes. And uh, in High Hopes, uh, David Gilmore plays a pedal steel guitar and is actually really, really good on it. But this is an album I listen to a lot especially in college and uh, I still find myself listening to a couple of songs off of it today. It's not their best work but it's a very good album. It's definitely uh, a step up from um, the album before. Chris, do you ever have you ever listened to it or I know you're not a huge Pink Floyd fan. Uh, you know, I don't and, and then when 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 he when you say not a big fan just so people know, I don't dislike them at all and I actually like a lot of their work and I have a lot of their early stuff. But I do not own this one. I do remember it being, you said, in college. I think I was maybe a junior or so when this was just really popular. And I remember the this, this songs always being played on Rock 3, and I always liked them. I always liked all the songs on it. And um, I guess this is going to sound really weird, but I don't know, I guess it'll sound too weird, but you would think this would be more of a complaint than a major pink floyd fan would have and not a novice like myself but it's almost kind of hard for me to get really super into something when it's not both waters and gilmore 
some people it may sound ridiculous, but it just almost to me it feels like that you know those guys to be a Pink Floyd record, it should be both of those guys. Right. It's it's kind of like Jagger and Richards. Without each other, they're not that great. Yeah. And, and so know, that's the one thing I would say that the probably what that's probably one of the things that kept me away from that album. Um, doesn't mean it's not great. I'm sure it's probably got some really good stuff on it. I just always it was to me it was it was um it was Waters Gilmore stuff. No, I mean that's that's definitely fair, and and most ninety percent of Pink Floyd fans are going to agree with you um, on that. But you know it, that that's a great example of there's just something about the two of them together, and as much uh-huh. as neither one of them want to admit it. Um, it's just something about the two of them together. I I, I love da- hearing David Gilmore play the guitar. Uh, just a fantastic. Yeah, he is really good. Man, he gets as much out of a Stratocaster as anybody you'll ever hear. Well, Chris, that was my third one. What's your uh, What's your fourth one? Well, this is um, you know, I'm not for the record. I'm I'm not just a mega Nirvana fan. I like the band and. I actually like all their records. I, I think Bleach is great. I think, um, of course, Nevermind was just a great, great record that changed just changed music. It was, uh, I mean, if you think about it, really, if you think about Nirvana, you know, you, you, I, we, we say stuff like Uncle Tupelo was the Nirvana of grunge, whatever, but the thing about Nirvana is that was maybe the biggest movement that a band caused since the Beatles. Um, you know, our parents saw it with the Beatles. We saw it with Nirvana. Will it be seen again? I don't, I don't know. Doubt it. And, you know, this was, um, again, a short career. They're just, uh, just three albums, but this one was just a lot of the, whereas I said, I'm not a mega fan. I do like all of their stuff. This was one, this is the one that, you know, Nirvana's in utero, their last one. This is one that a lot of the uh, diehard fans and all that they they're the most fond of, and I, and I think a lot of it is because, uh, and and you you speak on this more than a lot more than I do, but you always speak on production. And um, Nevermind was a very very polished record, and to some it may not seem like that to a casual person because it was grunge, so it's, you know. It's, Hey, this is, maybe it's supposed to be sloppy, whatever. But it was a polished record. And within Utero, they just wanted to get back to more of an abrasive, just natural sound. And um, so they hired Steve Albini, who was I don't know what else he's really produced. I and mean, he's an engineer. And they they recorded it quickly in just two weeks, and with little touch ups done to it. And you know, there's you. Supposedly there were there's rumors out there that um, that the the label did not want to release it. The D, DGC, which is David Ke- David Geffen Company, they didn't want to release it because they just didn't think it was commercially vi- commercially viable. Um, you know, and then so you know Nirvana, they I think they they've kind of denied that, but yet they did go back and they kind of redid some certain parts and uh, just remixed them. And for that, they brought in. Like Albini, he did not want to do that. He didn't want to touch anything up. He wanted to leave them as they were. So they brought in Scott Litt, who, you know, as you know, released, he, he uh, produced tons of REM albums. And, you know, Kurt Cobain was a huge, huge REM fan. 
And so I'm sure that's what kind of brought that connection. And he did come in, and he, Scott Litt from REM did work on a couple of them, um, Heart Shape Boxed, All Apologies. And uh, this is just, it was, I think that's the big the big takeaway on this album was just the sound. Because here was a band that blew up the biggest thing we've ever seen, and they didn't stick to the formula. They went backwards. <laughs> they took it to the garage. And, um, you know, you got to respect that. And one thing I did see on here is this is, this is Steve Albini, the uh, guy who produced it. He said he felt Nevermind was, he said, was sort of a, he said it was sort of a standard hack recording that has been turned into a very, very controlled, compressed, radio-friendly mix. That is not, in my opinion, very flattering to a rock band. And so that's that's what they were doing, and now it's looked back as their greatest work, and it does have some really, really cool tunes on it. The opening track, Serve the Servants, always loved that. Rate Me, maybe my favorite Nirvana song. Dumb, All Apologies, just some good tracks on it. And one one thing I did see on this too, when I was looking on this, looking up some facts before we came on, Kurt Cobain originally titled the album, or what he wanted to call it, was I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. And, um, supposedly he came up with that because when people would ask him how he's, you know, Hey Kurt, how are you? He'd say, I hate myself. I don't want to die. But he said it was just kind of a joke, but, uh, Chris Novosella, the bassist, he talked him into changing it because he said that he felt that that song title could, uh, get them into some trouble. He feared a lawsuit with that title, but, uh, a little bit anyway, yeah, I know. I mean, I know. Kurt Cobain says it was kind of a joke and tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, I don't think anybody I mean, I think everybody knew the torture that guy was going through. I mean, one of the most tortured, tortured you know, souls we've ever seen in music. Um, gifted guy that left too soon. You know, part of the part of the legendary 27 club, and if you don't know what that is Yeah, go look that up. Age, yeah, it's an age that many of our greats have left us at. You know, um Hendrix from Jim Morrison to Hendrix to I believe Janis Joplin, you know, as far as more recently, Amy Winehouse. It's kind of weird, but um, I know you're not the biggest Nirvana fan. No, I, I, I have you are with this record. I, ha- I have the album. We talked last week about, you know, the Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion albums, um, how much hype and anticipation. And I mean, this was right up there with it. Uh, coming was it two years after Nevermind came out that this came out? Hey, you know I, this just came out in '93, and I think Nevermind was '91. Yeah, I think yeah, I think two years. Yeah, I have. I mean, I have um, Nevermind in, in Utero, and if I'm going to listen to a Nirvana album, it's probably going to be in Utero. Um, All Apologies is one of my favorite songs. It is my favorite Nirvana song. It's a great song. I really love the MTV Unplugged version, by the way. But. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is going to sound totally out of left field, but if you get a chance, go on Spotify. I think it's on Spotify. Enough's Enough did a covers album, and they did all apologies, mm. and it is so good. I'd love to check that out. I mean, that's a really poppy, you know, Beatles-esque, you know, type rock band. I'd, I'd be curious to see how that sounds. You know, and it, we were talking about, you know, talking about how he hated himself and he wanted to die. You know, my dad has, has told me that he remembers exactly where he was the first time he heard the Beatles. Like, I was, he, I think he said he was in college or something, and he was walking in his dorm room, and he heard it. 
and I know exactly where I was when I heard that Kurt Cobain had committed suicide. I was on a senior in high school, and uh, I was driving in a car with a, with with this girl in my class, and we I remember this like yesterday. We come across a bridge, and as we're going across the bridge, they interrupt the radio and said Kurt Cobain has been found dead. You know, it's one of the the for our generation, it's one of the big the big moments. Uh, yeah. And and was you know this album sold very well and you know the the um, the videos were all over MTV and you're right it's it's not a bad album I'm 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 never gonna be like a big Nirvana apologist or anything but um, and I'm not gonna change the channel when anything on it comes on the radio but that's a good point too you know because I think that with Nirvana I think that with so many bands out there that are huge. You're gonna find you're gonna find a decent number of people that just do not like them. I don't know that I really know anybody that will say they do not like Nirvana. You know, they may not listen to their albums, they may not love the band, but I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that I don't like Nirvana. And think about the big bands, the really big bands that are, you know, say for example, U2. I've talked to a few people that can't stand U2. Um, I don't ever hear that with Nirvana, which is kind of weird considering they were a, uh, just a, you know, the grunge trio and, you know, yeah, I know that, I know people talk, uh, Dave Grohl's was a great drummer and I think people try to elevate Cobain's play in to be more than it was, but this wasn't just like some, some band that was just world class musicianship but I don't know I mean they just they had a sound that resonated with people and like I said they impacted our generation like the Beatles and they're going to be remembered forever like the Beatles as far as changing the face of music and they they came along at the right time and we're going to have a future episode where we're going to delve a lot deeper into that um, yeah yeah and I think that's going to be a really fun one you know um, we get to talk about how that kind of how it changed music you know, and and honestly, kind of pissed off a lot of people like us. You know, even though even though I say that, I, I laugh when I say that because I did love Nirvana. I mean, I, I really liked Nirvana, but oh. it did kind of take away a lot of the stuff that I listened to at the time. Oh, at the time, man, I, I came into it kicking and screaming. <laughs> you know, well, speaking yeah, well, well, that'll be a good show when we get to that one. Speaking of the uh, Twenty Seven Club, probably I felt like I kind of kind of. You know, set you up with that one. Yeah, softball for me. Uh, we'll probably go with the most famous member of the 27 Club, uh, definitely the most influential. Uh, it's going to be Jimi Hendrix, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Electric Ladyland. And I, you think about how prolific this guy was. I think he was only recording about three years, you know, and he put out three just landmark albums that. You know, pretty much every guitar player, almost regardless of the genre that they play, are you know, are going to listen to these al- these three albums. But Electric Ladyland's most famous for his Bob Dylan cover "All Along the Watchtower," which I know we've mentioned in a previous episode um, that we really like. It's one of our favorite covers. But man, to me, it has just maybe one of the two or three most epic guitar songs, and that is uh, "Voodoo Child's Slight Return." And 
man, this song has been covered by everybody. Probably most famously Stevie Ray Vaughan. He does a great cover. But I was watching a video today of uh, Zach Wilde and Steve Vai playing this, and they jammed it out, I think, for like 15 minutes. But uh, Crosstown Traffic was a, was another big hit for him off of that. But it's a very good album, uh, very influential. Chris, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought Crosstown Traffic. That's just uh, that's a cool tune. But um, you're right. The, as, as far as Voodoo Child, just that. Uh, I mean, everything the guy did, as far as from a playing aspect, was just original and groundbreaking. And um, the use of that, you know, that Vox wah wah pedal was just. Um, and I don't know if, we, I mean, we had never really heard anything like that. Or I say we had never heard anything because we weren't born yet, but people had not heard anything like that. And um, his playing was just what he did. And it's still, it's still, you can talk to people, guitar players today, that'll say figuring out some of his work is just so difficult. I mean, he was just, um, look, I mean, I, I, I don't know who I pick as my greatest guitar player of all time, but if he's not in your list when you're coming up with that argument, then you don't know how a guitar is supposed to sound. It, um, yeah, as, as they say, uh, he may not be in a class of his own, but it doesn't take long to call roll. Yeah, yeah, good. that's a good one. Yeah, but the, no, I mean, it, it, this, was, this, was, this kind of falls into, when you said the 27 Club, like Kurt Cobain, it was, you know, I, I, I don't... They didn't have Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix. They didn't have enough time to start making crappy albums like we started off this podcast saying that people, um, you know, there's several bands that they just didn't, the end was not that good for them. And um, maybe it would have happened to Kurt Cobain. Maybe it would have happened to Jimi Hendrix. But they were careers that were taken too soon. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of feel the same way about both of them. They, they, I think they had final albums that were great because they were in their prime, both of them. I would have loved to have heard what Hendrix could do if he, you know, could have lasted another ten or fifteen years with the technology that was about to emerge. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you he know? was, he was, you know, he was distorting that amp, you know, before anybody else really was, and you know that definitely became the technology definitely uh had to catch up to him you know and then and then get ahead of him but it would have been nice to have heard something that he could have put out in 76 77 you know during the classic rock heyday yeah yeah you're right but um no i mean that 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 was just um that that's a that's a solid solid record and just um <laughs> and if you just want a clinic on guitar playing put it on well, Chris, now that we've brought everybody down with people that died at age 27, <laughs> what do you have for your uh, your fifth album? Well, I think I'm already kind of named five. I think because we we com- you know we combined on that on that REM. Okay. But um, but I did have a little uh, bonus material. Um, you know, and I, and I talked just you know probably 15 minutes ago. Talked about how when you're talking about you you haven't been able to get into the Smiths how for the longest I couldn't with the Beatles well I do really love the Beatles now and um you know that I just thought this was going to be more of, of more than us talking about hey well 
Beatles, their last album was, was just phenomenal. Whatever. I thought we had talked about, well, which one is their final album? And, uh, and I say that because it's not as clear cut, you know, cause you, you look at it and Abbey Road was, was released in 69. Let it be was released in 70, but yet everybody always refers to, and mo- at least most people, Abbey Road is being the final Beatles album. And the reason, of course, they do this is because most of Let It Be was already in the can, you know, before the Abbey Road sessions even began. So it's like, well, okay, well, Let It Be was done beforehand, but it did come out afterward. And um, and then as far as Let It Be, they uh, all four members were still working on some of Let It Be after Abbey Road came out. So. I guess really when I was thinking about this and trying to decide, well, we're really, which one is it? I mean, which one is the, the most, you know, and people will say too, well, Abby wrote, it feels more like a Beatles record. They were working more together on it. Um, you know, so I don't know, but one thing I saw is, uh, I read this quote and I thought this was, I thought he said it perfectly. This was a guy from Rolling Stone. Rob Sheffield said, he said, I like Abby Road better. Sentimentally for me, it's the one I think of as the end. However, unfortunately, Let It Be is the last Beatles album. I would love it if you could change my mind about that. And I think that kind of says it the best. I think people want that to be the last one. Um, but the, the date on the album says that Let It Be is the last one. But this this was a good talking point. I'll let you give your thoughts on it in just a second. But I just, we, had talk, we were talking about this earlier, and I said... You know, I've always kind of been of the mindset that Abbey Road is the last one. But if you want to tell me that Let It Be is, well, it's still going to be on this podcast because I still think that Let It Be is a great, great album. I know people don't give it the respect that Abbey Road gets, and Abbey Road is my favorite Beatles record, but I think Let It Be is a great album. And if you tell me and you convince me that is for sure the last Beatles album, it's still in the discussion for great final albums, great swan songs. Yeah, I love the whole, you know, going back and forth. Is it Abbey Road or is it Let It Be? I think that's kind of a kind of a cool thing that they have going with those two albums. I, I've I've we've talked about this before. I'm not a huge Beatles fan, and, and I I know I'm in the one tenth of one percent that that think that. But like I was telling you before we started the podcast, if I'm going to listen to any Beatles albums, it's going to be Abbey Road and Let It Be. I, I like the direction they were going in. Some of the songs, you know, a little little harder, a little heavier. Um, the guitars were more, played a more prominent role in, um, in, in those two albums. But George Harrison was starting to really contribute at that time. And... Um, Abbey Road is it's like I said I we could do a whole podcast on bands you're supposed to like and and you just don't get it and the Beatles and the Eagles are two that I just I've tried to drink the Kool Aid on and it just Kool Aid hasn't tasted tasted good to me but I realize I'm very much in the in the minority but Abbey Road like I said here comes the sun that's one of my favorite. Beatles songs. I absolutely love it. Well, you that mentioned song. George Harrison. I mean, his contribution without George Harrison, this album is not, it's not, in my opinion anyway, it's not discussed as one of the greatest Beatles albums. You know, and, and you know, 
it seems like, you know, a lot of people are going to say Sergeant Peppers, and then a lot of people are going to say, you know, Revolver, but Abbey Road gets a lot of attention, too, as their best work. So without the, without George Harrison, you don't have something, and you don't have Here Comes the Sun. Right. And, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything bigger than those two. You've got Come Together, and you've got something. But, um, I, I mean, I'm sorry, Come Together, No Darling. But, um... I mean, those are really the two huge cuts, or those those George Harrison ones. And then, of course, I just love the side to the medley that they did. You know, where supposedly it's just a bunch of uncom, you know, just incomplete songs that, of uh, Lennon and McCartney, and they just pieced them together and made one song. And it just worked out incredible. Um, What's your favorite song off the album? Oh man, that's tough. Um, you know, I probably do have to go. Here comes the sun. Yeah, I think I, I would probably have to go with thing. that. And um, and then because after that, and there's a lot of songs I love on it, but the ones after that, I've got several. I've got I've got a couple of them that will fall into the the medley, but they're not full songs. But there's a couple in there that are just amazing to me. Like Good. she came in through the bathroom window. You know, carry that weight. Carry that weight is really great. Tunes. Yeah, so it's it's uh, I don't know. I think that it was a it was a creative album in that in that sense where they did that medley and um, you know, which not really a lot of people did that, but I, I will say just give me a chance to bring up the Beastie Boys. I don't think we've really talked about them much on these podcasts, but Paul's Boutique. You know, they do a medley that no doubt's got to be a nod to the Beatles. Same type thing and. uh is that that, uh, was it uh, something Booyah Bass? Yeah, that's yeah. on there. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, Interesting comparison. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, the, I, I think that they just, yeah, they sound nothing alike, but I mean, there's no doubt that inspiration. I mean, the, it had to have come from the Beatles, Abbey Road. So, whatever. I mean, whatever you take as your final one, you know, they were, they were a final two albums. Are great two final albums by them, and I and I can understand why you say that those are the ones you get into. Um, for me, you know, I I guess before Help, I, I struggle with you know those first few albums before Help, and after that, then then they grab me, you know, from Help on. Is Help the but, one that has a Hello Goodbye on it? No, no. Um, no, and and I'm completely drawing a blank right here, and I feel like an idiot for not even knowing it. But I know it's not on help. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. But anyway, no, both albums are uh, both albums are good. Hello, goodbyes, uh, magical mystery tour, by the way. But anyway, no, I, I mean, I, I like all the. Uh, I think all these were great albums, and and I I just back to what we're talking talking about with the struggles. It, it was. It was so tough, you know. I start thinking, okay, well, what about this? What about that? And then, and then I realize, wait, they put out something else, and then that comes up, and and I, I, I name something that I think is a good final album. Like for example, you know, I could bring up, I could bring up something like Husker Du. I could bring up uh, Thin Lizzy, and they had solid last work. But is it something that's worth me bringing up for this podcast? Even though I just did. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think they were just incredible albums worthy of like the greatest swan songs. I, I agree. It, it, I struggled. 
originally my last album was going to be on the Almond Brothers hitting the note, which is an album I listened to a great deal when it came out in 2003. But one of our loyal listeners, Bobby Bullock, suggested to me the White Stripes Icky Thump. And um, I didn't have a problem with that. Um, my favorite album that they've done, I'm not just the biggest Jack White you know, fan. Uh, I don't think everything he does is great like a lot of people do. But I thought it was their best album, and it was kind of a very, very bluesy. I think the album that came before it was mainly, you know, had a lot of piano on it. Um, If I have that wrong, it was the album before that. But anyway, uh, Icky Thump was the big single off of it. But Chris, your thoughts on the White Stripes in general or this album? I, the White Stripe, yeah, it's, it's it's got some rocking stuff on it. I do think it's got some good songs on it. I think that the White Stripes had, you know, they had, they have a collection of some really, really good work. Do I just love, is there any of their albums that just blow me away? Not really, but I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about them. I think they had, to, I think they're, they're good. And I think Jack White is almost like, I think you can relate to this. Jack White's kind of like the cooler version of Dave Grohl. And I'm not trying to just beat up on Dave Grohl, but we all get annoyed, you know, as music fans, the way people talk about Dave Grohl, like he's the only rock artist out there. Well, Jack White is kind of one of those ones, too, that can do no wrong in the critics' eyes. And um, I think the one thing I really do, the one thing I really do like about that guy is he's an eclectic guy who's done, he has his hands in a bunch of different sounds. Um, he's a diverse guy. He's a super, super talented guy. He just hasn't ever completely clicked with me. It, it, to, to some degree, he's kind of like um, Ryan Adams in that he can be pro- so prolific at times that I think he needs a, more of a somebody there editing some of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably that's probably a fair statement. Um, you know, like I said, Guy, the guy's good. The guy's mega talented. It's just I don't, I never really had the desire to put their records on. But it's kind of one of those things, like you you mentioned about Nirvana. If they come on, I'm probably not. I'm, I'm certainly not in a hurry to change the channel. Right. You know, I, so I mean, it says something. And I think that like I said, thing. I think they're. I think Jack White has put out some really cool stuff. Well, Chris, we're getting ready to wrap this episode up like we said earlier it was definitely more difficult than any of the other ones to put this together and and come up with this list hopefully um the next one won't be as as difficult yeah i i think this may be we may have just completed our most difficult Uh, i don't see how it can get a lot more challenging than this one um you know because when we're both struggling to even come up with five or six of them you know, and again, we could have brought up other ones. You could have brought up Loaded by the Velvet, Velvet Underground, stuff like that. But again, it's – I would have felt like I was doing it just to throw something in there. It's good. I like the Velvet Underground. I'm not a mega fan. And I try to stick to albums that I, I really do enjoy and I could put on at any given time. And it was probably so, our most um, accessible podcast as far as, you know, outside of – Uncle Tupelo, Anodyne, everything else, everybody should have at least heard. Yeah, I think that I think that the the stuff we brought up was definitely more or less in the mainstream. Um, you're right. Outside of our Guns and Roses in '90s, you know, it was it 
probably had the most recognizable names and uh you know maybe some of them like the like the rdm probably even probably even oasis oasis fits into this too you know you said they were huge with you know in other countries which obviously they were very huge but in the states they kind of went a little bit more in that rem directions where the people just kind of forgot about them and they weren't having a whole lot of radio success and so if you're one of those ones that may have kind of given up on them or you gave up on rem their final records are good people check them out yeah you're not going to be disappointed if you if you buy those two well chris uh that's going to wrap this episode up like i said at the beginning follow us on twitter at digital killed subscribe to us on itunes and if you get a chance, please leave us a review or and rate us. That's really, that's really going to help us. We're able actually to see uh, a lot of the people who are who are listening to our podcast, and uh, we have people listening in six or seven countries now, and um, you know probably about half the states in the country are represented. So we want it to get bigger, and one of the ways it can get bigger is if you rate us and review us on iTunes, and that will link us up with more high profile podcast. And so if you get a chance, that would be greatly appreciated. And we will see you guys uh, a week from today. Have a good one.